for another week. Jordan. Hey, how's well, it going, Bobby? Welcome back. And uh, today is February 22nd, 2021. I need to make sure to say 21. Last Have we week, been saying 2020? Saying t- 2001, I said last week. Oh. And someone said, is that significant? Are you trying to send a... It's <laughs> like, hey, I just, I just didn't say 2021 because 2021 is a mouthful and 2001 just rolls off the tongue. But no, it was not deliberate <laughs> and it was not, uh, we didn't go back in time. <laughs> so today is February 22nd, Maybe 2000. we need to correct the record on the, 21. On the website. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's always hard going from, a, you know, the old year to the new year to remember to write that new. Right. Yeah. Now that we don't write checks anymore. It's not such a big deal. Yeah. Well, in 2020, just rolled right off the tongue. It was an easy year to say. And it's also a year that's sort of ingrained in our brains forever for uh, reasons that none of us really like. I was actually thinking about this the other day. How everyone says, you know, 2020 was such a terrible year. And I, I thought, that's true. That's true. Now let's think about why it was such a terrible year. Was it a terrible year because of the pandemic killed untold numbers of millions of people? Or was <laughs> it a terrible year because authoritarianism and tyranny kind of ran unchecked all over the world? I'll let you, listener, reason that out <laughs> for yourself. I have an opinion, but I think you know what that opinion is. <laughs> well, t- today I think we're going to we're going to look kind of re uh, relook at the pandemic a little bit. We're going to vent. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to vent. <laughs> Don't we do that every week? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, it's interesting to watch how the the press and the sort of the mood of the pandemic has changed over the last month or so. And now let's let's remember that going into the holiday season, so late October and into November, we were told by federal and state officials that we were gonna we were going into the darkest period of our lives. Joe Biden said that we were gonna have a dark winter. We had Fauci saying things are gonna get worse before they get better, and that holidays were gonna be a super spreader events and that we you know we, they they canceled thanksgiving and a lot of people took that very seriously and had lonely lonesome and a lot of people thanksgivings didn't, <laughs> a lot of people didn't yeah and, and then, then there's a, millions of people that went to the rally in january and nothing happened there that was not a super spreader event there has never been a super spreader event right how many super spreader events that were supposed to be were not you, know, you go back to the Sturgis motorcycle rally. Yeah. When when was that? In May or June of last year? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about all the Black Lives Matter rallies. Right. Well, and the, of course those don't count. Also remember <laughs> that so, somebody on Twitter. I spend too much time on Twitter. That's true. Somebody, I think it was 
Alex Berenson, who is a former New York Times reporter. He's an author of fiction books, and he's been really uh, pounding on this COVID stuff in a, in a good way. He's been looking at numbers. He's been on Joe Rogan. He's a, he's a good follow if you're interested in all this stuff. But he said something like, I think the COVID-19 hysteria has jumped the shark. And I was like, yeah, it jumped the shark a long time ago. It jumped the shark officially. See, I, it, does everybody know what jump the shark means? Do we need a little history lesson? I'm imagining uh, like a, a, a shark, a fairly large one, flopping around and somebody running really fast and jumping over it like kids daring, daring it, each other to jump over came the shark. From, it came from Happy Days. Oh, really? Yeah, and there was an episode where Fonz... Oh, that's right. He, was water skiing. He water skis and he and jumps he over. literally jumps a shark. And it's so <laughs> stupid and it's so ridiculous that people point to that moment and say that's when Happy Days lost it. That's when it was no longer a good show. And so it's become a phrase that when something jumps the shark, it's a moment where it, it goes from being, from being you know, good to being stupid or bad. Okay, so now did they set him up to jump the shark or was it like he was just water skiing and he happened to jump over a shark? I, I think, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember the context. I've seen the clip and he like jumps the wake and, and then jumps the shark. And I don't know if he was trying to escape from it or if it was like some stunt, but it was, it was so dumb. And that it, <laughs> even then, even then. So that phrase jumping the shark has come to mean you know, the moment a, te a television show in particular, but anything kind of loses its whatever made it good. Okay. You know? So what didn't, so Alex just realized this jumped the shark. Well, because he's seeing, he's seeing. And I think there's a, what we're talking about is public mentality, like yeah. the, the, the 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 cultural social consciousness, which, uh, and I think as we as we were kind of talking about where where we might go with today's episode, part of it, and and this has to do with, you know, this this finds its way into a lot of the discussions we have, but there's a narrative being propagated by the main stream propaganda outlets and the narrative is really what matters relative to the society as a whole because they're moving society and it's it's an intentional narrative and so the question is where does the narrative go because there are a lot of people who are either front-running the narrative or disbelieving the narrative trying to change the narrative trying to get back to a more real narrative and so as we talk about jumping the shark, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a, good, a good observation. I won't try to trash the guy for... No, Alex has been really good, and he's, he's taken a lot of heat from the, from the storytellers. Yeah, because, but, but, but as a society, yeah, is it, is, are we at that inflection point? And you were, Bobby, you were pointing out some stuff in uh, Joseph Campbell's book again, The Hero's Journey. I had a, uh, one of my friends wants to talk more about The Hero's Journey. He wants us to do it a to do a podcast on just that one just of these that. days. So I, I said, okay, I think we'll get there. But uh, it's a really interesting concept, and, and Campbell's book is really important. A lot of, almost all film students read it, right? Really, they do. And there's good reason, because it's, you know, Joseph Campbell called it the monomyth, meaning that it's almost, it's almost present everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and there's some variation on this idea that, the initiate goes through a uh, goes through a series of trials and comes out better for it and wiser. And one of the important parts that often doesn't get talked about is 
the refusal of the initiate to engage in that. He calls it the refusal of the call because in the hero's journey, there's the call to adventure. And the hero, you know, can accept or reject that. And Luke Skywalker's often, even in film school, Star Wars, that original Star Wars is often uh, used as the kind of stereotypical prototype. prototype. But like Harry Potter, when Hagrid shows up and says, you're a wizard, Harry, Mm -hmm. you know, that's his call to adventure. He could have not gone with Hagrid and stayed in the cupboard. I'm making notes on all the movies we're going to have to dissect now. And you think about what would have happened if Harry Potter had rejected the call. Well, Voldemort, he who must not be named, he, he would have won because the only guy that could stop him would have been in a cupboard under the stairs. Yeah. And so the refusal of the call is an important part that sometimes gets overlooked. But wrapping up on jumping the shark, <laughs> COVID-19 hysteria for me was always absurd. But to me, it jumped the shark. And you brought up Black Lives Matter rallies when in mass, a bunch of nurses and doctors endorsed and even participated in those marches and rallies and riots wearing their scrubs out in the streets and their masks. And I just thought, well, these are the same people telling us to not gather. These are the same people telling us that this thing is going to kill us all unless you're protesting for a cause that they agree with. Yeah. At that point, the absurdity was laid bare. Yeah. Well, for me, it started to jump the shark. And maybe this is my misunderstanding of jumping the shark. But when the censorship occurred, I thought, especially with the with Dr. Erickson and Bakersfield. Yeah, that it was, was like, a big moment. It was like, okay, we're now shutting down, you know. That's when you knew that it wasn't about public health or a virus. That's when you knew that there was a story that was being told and our behavior was being manipulated just this last yeah, if you week. Yeah, if you're not aware, just to back up a little bit, Erickson and his um, business partner, um, I forget his name. It's, it's an, it's, he's got an interesting name. It's Massey or something like that. I think it starts with an A. Um they were invited by a local news station to do a press conference because they ran a bunch of clinics or run a bunch of clinics in Bakersfield, California, and they do a lot of testing. And so they were able to get aggregate data and make some sort of a commentary on what was actually happening. Because at the time, remember, (laughs) back in April and May, it was, well, in I think this was in the end of April, it was flatten the curve. This is deadly. We need to save the hospitals from being overrun. Being overrun. And so then uh, Dr. Erickson comes out and says, oh, it's okay. It's far more widespread than you think. It's like the flu. There's a lot of incidences of it and very little, lo- very low percentage of death. He also pointed out that wearing masks was not something the general public needed to do. He pointed out that quarantining the healthy was right. a they really were, bad idea. The, the, the thing was, the, the news reporters were so confounded by the attitude of Dr. Erickson and... and uh, a lack of panic. Yeah, but that they started to ask questions, and then the doctors began to, to instruct them about Immunology 101 and their 40 years of experience in testing and in clinical, uh, you know, real-world applications. 
and they were just almost shouting back at the reporters, we always have only quarantined the sick. We never quarantined the healthy. What, it, what is not getting through to you? And these if, reporters were adamant. If you've never seen the video, it's really interesting because you can see the, and hear the, the, the incred, incred, incredulity yeah, of the press, <laughs> of the people in the room. Why do I choose to say words that I know that I can't say well? Well, it's good practice. Anyway, for later on when, when this Erickson's, podcast get famous, Doctor Erickson's <laughs> partner was uh, Doctor Artin Masihi. Masihi, okay. And uh, sorry, Doctor Masihi. You can still find. I think I still think you can find that video out on. Bit you know, I, I really love YouTube. Doc, Bandit. Yeah, I, I really appreciate those two guys, and I think uh, Doctor Erickson has a far higher tolerance for being uncomfortable in front of people and being willing to be. Um, perceived as crazy because he he was really kind of the leader there and dr yeah. masihi was very very much a loyal friend going along with it but you could tell he was pretty uncomfortable he didn't want to like make waves and and i think he represents you know a significant segment of the medical profession that's like okay hold on a second here let's we still need to have a job we still need to have right a, a erickson was like people are buying he, he, he at the end of the at the end of the interview he's he basically um, says, you know what? You know what's hard to find right now? Nine millimeter ammunition because people are scared, you know? <laughs> and yeah, they, they were kind of the first guys that publicly, first doctors that publicly were saying, this is not the right at least, in, at least in mainstream America. There were plenty of epidemiologists sure, sure. and other people, but, but these guys had data. Another one is, That was what made them so dangerous, is they had data, and then the narrative yeah, data machine that, had to come was, down on them really quick. It was not model data. It was empirical from their tests. They, they, they had, at this point, tested yeah, this thousands and thousands of people. Historical data. Another one was Dr. Ioannidis. Did I say that right? From Stanford. Oh, Yeah. He he actually has some stuff more recently. We could say Ioannidis or something. Something like that. Americans pronounce words however they want. And so <laughs> well, if you can get... We're Americans, that's Jordan. Right. That's right. And if you can get a majority of Americans to pronounce it that way, that is the real way to pronounce it. Like Italian? Yeah. Italian dressing. We don't say Italy. We don't say Italics. <laughs> w would you put that text in Italics for me? I don't know what that is. Well, the refusal of the call is an interesting concept, and um, getting back to the hero's journey, if you've uh, if the, you forgot where we were at, and I think there's been some really uh, interesting examples of people who have refused the call in our own time, especially over the last twelve months. Doctor Erickson may be one that accepted the call. He he felt compelled. He could have stayed quiet and. But he didn't. He he and Dr. Masihi went public, and they got. I don't know if they've if they've had any professional repercussions, but they were erased from the internet as quickly and as as thoroughly as possible. Now well, they're, they're still out there. It's actually but it's strange. harder to find. It's strange because if you Google uh, Dr. Erickson and the Bakersfield interview and stuff, all you can find on YouTube is people refuting him. So you wonder who's. Who is this nefarious Dr. Erickson, and why well, they are don't people even so angry? With they, him? Don't they don't refute him. They just they just they basically insult him. him. Yeah, they don't say that he's wrong. That we've always quarantined the sick. Obviously, we have history. Right. That they proves just that. they just character assassinate him. <laughs> Another one of his arguments was that this 
this virus. And again, this was in uh, April where we didn't know a lot. His his assertions was that this is this is far more far more prevalent than we're than we think. Right. And it's been around a lot longer. I think when this when the dust settles on this, if it ever does, I think that we will come to the conclusion that SARS-CoV-2 was in the United States in the fall of 2019. Mm -hmm. Like I'm talking September, October. There's been some evidence that it was in Italy at that time. This was not something that suddenly crept into the United States in February 2020. I remember kind of following the news in January 2020 and it was like, oh, there's this thing out of China Mm -hmm. and it's yeah. And that was the narrative. And then suddenly it was like China, it, it, China it's completely, in Utah. Yeah, but it's China in freaked US. out. See, China was fine right up until right after everybody went home from the New Year's celebrations and then they freaked out, but they knew about it. So that so that what was going on in China is really suspect because you know you've got a situation there is. where where yeah, one one or two guys can totally affect a billion people and Right, and they, and, they, and they waited. There were the and then they made the, mo- they made the made the most big deal out of it as possible. There were these videos of people dropping dead in the streets yeah. that that the press here in the US took took at face value and said this is our future. Yeah. You had basically Italy was the first country to to impose lockdowns and then they had all the deaths. They came those were Chinese style lockdowns. You had Chinese you had these videos of Chinese officials like bolting people into their homes, you know, like drilling the doors, doors shut. The doors shut yeah. I have no idea if any of that stuff was real. I have no idea if those weren't were staged videos or something completely out of context. It doesn't matter. They they successfully caused panic in the Western world, mm-hmm. and we're still panicking. Unless we're jumping the shark, that's the question, right? Right. We have the media. We panicking. have something that we didn't have. We have now a year of empirical data. Mm-hmm. We know what this virus is we know who it's dangerous for we know who it's not dangerous for we know that it's not a, a something that is super contagious like it was sold to us as it's fairly normal seasonal illness seasonal illness and right. the graphs and the numbers are proving that right in front of our eyes so one thing we've been looking at are the the total death figures because you can't really trust uh, COVID figures because of the perverse incentives, right? They'll say all these people are dying of COVID, but because of the obvious hysteria, I think the only real way to assess where we're at is to compare total death figures to past years. And that's where it gets interesting. Good luck trying to find those numbers. Right. That's where it gets interesting because yeah, they've been changing. I've been following this for several months and they keep changing the websites uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if they're changing the data. We do know, uh, by the way, that the all the hockey stick graphs for global warming were based on false data. Hoax. Ho- yeah, like the, their whistle. There were whistleblowers that came forth to explain that they had falsified data. And I don't want to send us off on another tangent just yet. But okay. I'm going to put take. I'm going to suggest a tangent, and I'm going to put it over here to the side. Okay. But you brought up climate change. I am going on the record right now saying climate change lockdowns are coming. And already you have people like Bill Gates, who's a raving lunatic. There's no other way to describe him. He's a lunatic. And he is, he's just written a book, which I'm sure you're excited to read, Jordan, about how we can avoid a climate catastrophe. And he's, you know, you remember over the last year, he's, he's been on 
talk shows and news shows like weekly talking about the pandemic and the next pandemic and this pandemic. And he waves his arms around weirdly. He's got the strangest mannerisms. It's like Dr. Evil from the Mike Myers. The Austin Powers series. It, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mike Myers. Except he's got pink instead of gray. And he he's now switching gears into climate. And he's saying we need to switch to uh, artificial meat, which he owns steaks in. Yeah, well, get it? By steaks? the way, he... <laughs> nice pun yeah uh the very good wordplay he's also what the largest landowner of uh farm yeah he's land bought up a in, bunch of farmland states so what's he going to do with that is he going to produce beef or is he going to not produce so that his meat i don't know non-meat uh, and non-meat endeavor he has he has suggested throwing shooting particles into the sky to block oh yeah the darkening sun, the sun which could have incredibly incredibly horrible consequences right uh, funny thing about darkening the sun i i like to watch funny uh, funny movies strange movies you know interesting movies and i'm running out so i i watched this one that i'd been seeing pop up on netflix quite often called snow piercer mm-hmm. have you seen that with the train that's running around the world yeah i've, I've not seen it but it's it's based on a very popular book Oh, okay. I believe, and yeah, I've I've heard of it. Anyway, th- you just reminded me of that. So now that we've tangented off of a couple of tangents, uh, Snowpiercer is about the last remaining humans on the Earth, and happened to be on a train that, uh, prior to the calamity, had been built by a man who's played by Ed Harris. Chris Evans plays the the main protagonist, but Ed Harris, uh, who we talked about last week from uh, Truman Show fame, Christoph. Christoph plays again a creator role he's the builder of the train and this train is this massive train that's circling the globe and uh it's a self-sustaining balanced ecosystem train so all this train has a perpetual uh motor type of an engine and it has all the things necessary for life it's like a noah's ark and anyway the reason these people are on this train piercing the snow running around the globe trying to stay alive on the train is because humanity decided to fight global warming by darkening the skies by doing right. exactly what Bill Gates is well, suggesting. Yeah, and Bill we Gates do. does this without any hint of of irony or yeah. or humor. He's he's serious about it, and that's what's crazy about this person is that his only expertise about anything is that he got very wealthy. And if you know the history of Microsoft, you know that his wealth was a little bit dubious the means that he you know monetized what was previously kind of open source software and and anyway you can go look that up and yeah, James, the, Do- the dos operating system james corbett, the disk operating system james corbett's done some great work on bill gates but he's out there front and center talking about climate and then uh john Kerry, who works now for the biden administration as climate advisor or something it says we have nine years and of course these guys have been saying this stuff for decades right you can go back to the 70s Oh, they're trying hard. When we were supposed to all freeze to death. What I'm saying, why I'm, why I'm talking about this, though, is that they are taking COVID and the COVID measures and the responses and the lockdowns, and they are sliding that into climate change. So that's why I think we're going to see climate change lockdowns. And I would keep your eye on Australia, New Zealand, maybe the UK. These have been places that have proven to be extremely uh, willing 
susceptible to to go tyranny. along with this stuff and to be. I I kind of think I think New Zealand and Australia to a lesser degree are oligarchy uh, training dishes? training grounds. Training they're grounds. they're little petri dishes. They say how well, how's this going to work in in what. In countries that used to be and still maybe could be uh, Western democracies, but they're very quickly right. not. Well, that's not quite entirely true. Uh, as everyone knows, Australia is entirely populated with criminals. <laughs> 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 right. So it makes sense, right? <laughs> so that's our little that little climate change tangent. But you were talking about deaths and uh, the, the the death rate and the fact that. We needed to look at total deaths, all causes, and make our assumptions or draw our conclusions from there because they have created a very difficult situation with perverse incentives and with censorship to find, to find good information. Now, perverse incentives is the, is the huge key here. Uh, Basically, when this crisis hit, the government very quickly reacted because of the economic crash in March and put a heck of a lot, a whole heck of a lot of ton of money. Yeah, it was 1.4 trillion from the government. But then the way that that gets multiplied in the banking system via fractional reserve banking and then also the the, the simultaneous actions the Federal Reserve Bank, the private Federal Reserve Bank took caused a, a, you know, six to 10 trillion dollars to enter the economy. And a lot of it is chasing COVID numbers, right? So that's where you get your, your increased testing, your, your uh, institutional hospitals were all closed down, and, and, but they're getting paid by the government to, um, to treat people with, with ventilators so people get put on ventilators and stuff like that. So we, we had all this stuff driven by perverse incentives. What they'll do is they'll take, they'll take a chart and they'll show you this chart and they'll show you a spike and they neglect to tell you that they have started the, the y-axis, which is the vertical axis, far higher than, um, than you would think. So if they, if they started at 50,000 and the spike goes up to 80,000, you'll see that normal death rates uh, follow a seasonal trend. They spike around the start of the year, and then they kind of tail off, and then they come back and spike the next year. And... So there was a spike in total deaths in April of 2020, but a lot of times they, they exaggerate that by starting the x-axis at 40, or sorry, the y-axis at 40 or 50,000. When you look at it in its total context, and I'll, I'll, I guess we'll have to link back to this graph, and this graph is outdated the, uh, just for the sake of uh, clarity. There has been a spike, uh, a seasonal spike that was significant, over, over 70,000 a week, um, at the end of the 2020 year, it's the 2020, 2021 flu season. So there, there has been some significant excess death, but there was, a, there was, um, uh, a lot of hysteria in April and that's when the, when the spike hits. And when you look at it in context, we have 3 million people that die every year in the United States right now. And so it's, it's a blip, but it's not that big of a blip. And the main main thing I'm, I'm getting at is one of the questions is where did all this death come from? Was it caused by the, the seasonal illness or was it caused by mass hysteria? People don't take into account the psychological effects, especially on old people who are, you know, just kind of living out their lives, especially in nursing homes where half of the deaths occurred, 
right? We, we know that. And that's the big scandal in New York right now is that, um, you know, Cuomo's getting in trouble because they, they're starting to find out he was just funneling people into these nursing homes. And so in, in America, a lot well, of these starting deaths... To- finally talk about it we knew that back in may june the, the public mind the the, right. the public mind the one that's jumping the shark right now is starting to realize i think Cuomo's going to become the uh the whipping boy sacrificial the sacrificial lamb for this well i don't know are they gonna they would have to come out of the covid hysteria to to really admit that cuomo killed a bunch of people wouldn't they or I, I, you know i think at some point they're gonna have to admit that somebody killed a lot of people, and he's an easy one. He's not, he's not going to run for president. You know, he's he that future I think is, is gone for him, and so what use does he have left? By the way, Cuomo took over uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development shortly after Catherine Austin Fitz was uh, going through her persecution in the late '90s. That's interesting. There's a link there. Uh, I'll point that out if you want to go back to our episode hidden picture where we talk about the the secret combinations. He he and his family are t- so tied in. So his brother be, is on CNN, you know, spouting lies. Yeah, it, it would be interesting to see if he really does get thrown under the bus. Maybe it's just a diversion. It might be. Maybe he'll be he'll be put out to pasture. I don't think anything will come of it. His brother Chris Cuomo lied about having COVID. And also, he famously said on the air that it was illegal for us, the dirty public, to read the WikiLeaks emails, but that they, the press, could read them, and don't you worry, we'll tell you what's in them. Which, of course, is a lie. It's not illegal for people to look at Wiki WikiLeaks. But anyway, the Cuomo crime family needs to be investigated. Yeah, for sure. So... Uh, the, the point here, did the government response and the mass hysteria, is that what caused the spike in April? Because you, you were telling me earlier, Bobby, that you think there's evidence that SARS-CoV-2 was here in the fall of 2019. And that would make some sense if we can explain the spike in total deaths, all causes, in April. And that's when the hysteria really hit. I, I honestly think that we underappreciate how much our psychology, our, our psyche, our, our spirituality factors into our health. And the, the medical establishment wants you to just think of yourself as some sort of a machine that if you pump these chemicals in here and do these certain things here and do these procedures, that somehow it is uh, everything's supposed to work appropriately. But but there are a ton of uh, there's a ton of other anecdotal and scientific evidence that we are that our that our psychological state and our um, spiritual state matters to our health. And one thing that people like to point out, or I've heard pointed out before, is that you know once you retire, statistically you're a lot closer to dying than um, than people who haven't yet retired. People who have a vocation, people who have something to do, tend to to live longer. The people that are busy live longer and those people that just kick back and start watching Fox News or whatever, like a lot of old folks do, they tend to die earlier. And well, it's so, important to have a purpose. It's, yeah, it's, it's about... Like a reason to get up in the morning and to go about doing something that is meaningful 
to you, whether that yeah. might be gardening or riding a bicycle or being with grandkids. But waking up in the morning and then just putting on a television program and never leaving your house right, so is ima- bad for you. So imagine you're one of those people who's really old. They're at the end of their life, and that, that's what they do. And then they, the television programs they put on tell them that, there's, that the world is ending because of this massive, massively dangerous virus. That, that has an effect on health. We uh, also locking old people, you know, in their nursing home room and never visiting them. And o- the only people that ever visit them are people with masks bringing them their dinner. How long does an old person last there that, that knows they're going to die anyway? Right. It's, a, it's a bad situation. So, so yeah, uh, m- at least half of these deaths occurred in nursing homes. And that is a significant uh, piece of evidence, I think, because I think those people could have been influenced in other ways other than their health, meaning their, via their psychological or spiritual health, to, to pass out of the world. We have a, in our family, there's a, a, an uncle that we really think died of loneliness because he didn't, they, they couldn't pin the COVID on him and he just passed and he was, he was old, but he was, you know, otherwise healthy. And, and he just checked out, I think, because there's nothing to do here. <laughs> well, and, and last week I said, um, last week I said that a lot of we, we we touched on excess deaths, and I said that there's excess excess deaths among younger people. I didn't want to make that sound like I was saying that COVID was killing an excessive amount of younger people. What I was getting at was that these lockdowns and uh, closures and things have had an adverse effect on younger people. So there's been a rise in non-COVID deaths among otherwise healthy people who aren't going and seeking treatment for something else who, or who are suffering from, you know, drug abuse is up, suicides are up. There's a great group of people, and they have a website called rationalground.com. We'll link to it. These guys have been studying the effects of lockdowns and of COVID uh, f- since the beginning, and, and they're all smart people who understand numbers and data, and we know also from last week that I'm not a person that understands numbers. Um, but I have been told recently that math is racist. So, <laughs> um, but they, they 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 point out on the cons of lockdowns that there's a lot of other diseases that aren't being treated. Uh, there's starvation. Uh, as many as 168,000 children have died due to starvation because of supply chain disruptions, where that food aid and type type of stuff was was getting to them isn't getting to them. Not to mention just you know, being told to lock down in an economy that can't afford that. Our, our economy here in the West, in the U.S., we can afford to live off of the Internet and food delivery. And again, we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, child abuse has, has gone up. Um, child marriage has gone up throughout this, like underage marriage like your 11 year old is marrying the neighbor's 14 year old something like that i think it's more nefarious than that i think it's more like uh, forced marriages in you know it, oh like in underdeveloped countries right um they talk about teen teen pregnancies up in many countries uh lo- low-income students are suffering in online classes that's something we touched on last week i think it's bear it bears repeating that this this lockdown culture benefits the wealthy at the expense of the poor. I saw a sarcastic tweet this morning that said, congratulations, everybody. We locked down and only the poor 
people and minorities suffered the most. Well done. <laughs> and but it's true. It's true that well, there's there's statistical evidence that a certain amount of economic loss in a recession creates X number of deaths. I'll have to look right. look up some sort of a source on that. Domestic abuse has gone up this last year. Um, there's been more poverty. You know, we, we in, in many ways, and this list goes on with mental health, suicide, substance abuse. In so many ways, in the last 12 months, we have undone progress that took 40, 50, 60 years in so many different categories. I've maybe maybe exaggerated in, in saying this, but we are undoing the Enlightenment era. We are undoing decades or centuries of I don't think you're exaggerating. And intellectual and philosophical and religious progress that has gotten us to a point where all bad things in the world were all have all been on the decline for a long time. People were healthier in more places. People were were able to have access to food and water in more places. Disease was down in more places. Poverty was down in more places. There's a guy named uh, I think his name is Ronald Bailey. He's done a lot of work on kind of the social science aspect of, of the economy and things like that and made great progress, how we've made, made tremendous progress throughout the, throughout the entire world. And so fewer people than ever are suffering. And then 2020 happens, and it's like we just erase all that progress. Mm-hmm. And the longer we do this, the longer we go along with this charade, the, the worse that's going to be. Well, you, you made a comment. Uh, earlier, uh, and I, I think it was before the podcast, and the the terminology was dry tinder. Um, what what you meant by that was that you didn't want to be rude, but this uh, this particularly bad seasonal illness has come through and swept up and burnt up a lot of the dry tinder that's that's accumulated. This happens in forests, forest fires quite often, and and the pattern does repeat in public health, in that every decade or two we get a strangely particularly bad seasonal illness. This, this was evidenced in 1957 and 1968. In particular, the American Institute for Economic Research did some good articles on that. I'll, uh, I'll link to those. Uh, but uh, the, the fact that we've made such progress in the last many decades has allowed people to live longer. And so when you take a step backwards into the darkness out of the enlightenment that we've been in, then you, you're going to have that dry tinder gets burnt up. So especially when you you have a seasonal illness that might be a little more potent than normal and you combine that with the fear with the fear with the stress with the loneliness and the the uh, complications in getting treatment for other things because you know a lot of hospitals especially in the spring and early summer of last right. year they canceled they canceled treatments for other stuff they canceled a lot of elective stuff and why well not because they were overwhelmed with COVID patients, but because they couldn't afford to pay their staff. And so there was a lot of layoffs in hospitals. Yeah, uh, Some but, doctors but, and nurses, but a lot of administrative staff. The point is, these hospitals never got overrun. And in fact, were so understaffed that they couldn't keep their normal because people were so afraid to leave right. their homes. Right. And so remember that... Uh, the CDC put out some numbers about four or five months ago that only 6% of the deaths that were attributed to COVID actually were because of COVID all, only. All of the other ones had 
significant comorbidities. And yes, some of those were flu and pneumonia. But remember, every year the flu death uh, statistics are conflated with pneumonia. Pneumonia is the real killer here. Right. And so pneumonia is also caused by the common cold. The, so my point in bringing that up was that um, Bobby was just talking about all these people who were denied basic medical care. And a lot of those deaths were likely because of those other conditions. And then they found that these people had COVID so they could count it as a COVID, uh, a COVID death. And we're going to have to, we're going to once again, link to the changes in the PCR testing because the way we were PCR testing throughout 2020 up until just recently with the cycle thresholds up around between 30 and 40 was likely to find COVID at anything. There was a, a report early on that the country of Kenya had kicked out all the World Health Organization testers because they had intentionally tried testing a goat and a papaya and a banana, and they all came back positive. And I, we've got anecdotal evidence. I've got a friend whose sister or somebody in their business had to send in a bunch of COVID tests. So they sent in four COVID tests that were um, not even opened or not used, and they all came back positive. And there, there was even a guy in Utah here, I think, that was saying, well, all COVID, every COVID test is a positive test. Like, the, like they've just they went, they've gone down this dark rabbit hole of disenlightenment to try and reverse everything we've ever known about disease to just to, to try to have fear so that they can collect on their perverse incentives. And I right. think the big the big big thing that happened in, that really put us back that set us back in um, 2020 was this the fact that the public was willing to believe that asymptomatic people might spread the disease. And that's a lie. And it's been a lie the whole time. And it's not just a lie. It's a myth. It's taken on this mythical type of a a legend, spiritual um, sort of a, sort of a character that you might, you healthy person over there might be infecting me. So stand away from me. Don't come close to me. You need to mask yourself up. Asymptomatic spread is ground zero for this. This is the smoking gun. Asymptomatic spread is a total myth. And and I'm using the word myth in our modern, with with a modern um, definition or, or connotation in that it's it's not true. It's 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 a legend. It's unlikely to be true. Well, I'll go even farther and say that it, it's a it's an out now lie. It's a deliberate nefarious lie mm-hmm. that is pushed by people with with nefarious incentives yeah. and in, you know nefarious. Right. So, but the reason I use the word the reason I want to bring up the word myth is because the word myth uh, is a Greek, and we're talking about myth, the myth of the Minotaur and King Minos or Minos or whatever. What, what, how would you pronounce his name? I've always said Minos, but I don't know that I've ever heard it spoken. I've always yeah, just we, read the name. we got to talk about the myth of the Minotaur. And uh, anyway, the word myth comes from Greek, of course, and it means word or speech or thought. And at the time, it was it, it, uh, the way that myth was thought of was that it was correct speech or thought or divine speech or thought and so the the myths were the stories of the word of god essentially the truths tr- uh, true legends or true stories about what happened to explain the the natural world and so myth to them was true and the, this even though it might have been allegory right the king 
Minos, we're, we're going to talk about him, and we're going to talk about the Minotaur and Theseus. It's not that the Greeks believed for sure that this was, I mean, I'm sure some, some Greeks believed it was true, but they had a different concept of uh, they had a different way of viewing the world. They, they, the ancients were a lot more into allegory and symbol than we are. They didn't see the world in a linear, scientific, uh, digital way the way we see it. They saw their science was more um, based on their understanding that we are spiritual people. You know, they had, they had a spirituality mixed with it, so they were far more open to the unseen. And uh, the ir- what they called the irrational, the subconscious, than modern modern people are. So anyway, that's that's the juxtaposition between modern myth and ancient myth. And aside from being having taken on a mythical legend type of a mystique, this asymptomatic spread idea is just a total flat out lie. It's well, the basis to for everything it, that's happened. To accept that asymptomatic spread is a thing is to accept that your your fellow humans your neighbors your friends your family are all dangerous just just our existence is a danger to one another and during the going into the holiday season the governor of utah then gary herbert he since he didn't run for re-election and he retired and spencer cox won the election anyway but governor Herbert was the governor up until the end of 2020. Going into that holiday season, he had bought completely into this idea of asymptomatic spread and was telling us that he he said, our love for one another is causing this virus to spread. He blamed the spread on our, quote, bad behavior. He said that we have to limit our gatherings. He even, for a time, issued an executive order making it illegal, I'm air quoting, to go and visit your neighbor. And um, that's when I really started to get frustrated and fired up about about this, about this nonsense. And it is nonsense. And someday we need to have a reckoning with certain people who should know better, like the state epidemiologist from Utah, Dr. Angela Dunn. Her training and her background should indicate that she should know better, but she's also bought into it. And people like Dr. Fauci should know better that that asymptomatic spread of a respiratory virus is, is not a thing. It's not a thing. And that we are not inherently dangerous to one another. And yet that is the, that's the big lie in all of this is that the, you know, my mask protects you, your mask protects me. That's that indicates that we are a danger to one another just by existing, just by showing our smiling faces in public, we are killing people. That is such a stupid, stupid, nefarious, horrible lie. And I can't understand why we keep going along with it, why we keep giving it well, credibility. We, we be, only, because the, only because of the mainstream narrative, only because of the, the public mind that it appears, it appears that there's a majority of people that are concerned about it. And that's where we're, are we jumping the shark? Are we now to the point where it's so absurd the emperor is not wearing any clothes. Enough people in the city are saying he's not wearing any clothes. He doesn't have clothes, but he does have two masks. And he's wearing two masks. The strange thing about the emperor's new clothes is the way that that ends is uh, the emperor shivers for he knows that they might be right. He suspects the people might be right, but 
he knew that he must continue on, and so therefore he strode ahead proudly while his nobleman held high the train that was never there at all. That's happening and been happening for months. With I mean, the, people like Fauci, they know that they've... Well, Fauci for sure, because he's, he's on record. He's been on record already saying the absolute opposite right, over of and what over. he's been claiming the last year, over and over. And he, keeps, and he keeps moving the goalposts. There's nothing. How can we believe anything that that guy's saying but, when everything he says turns out to be wrong? The, the people holding the train are the media who keep having him in on these Sunday morning talk shows and giving him press and... and I mean, a couple of years ago, he was on. He 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 treated an Ebola patient in the morning, and then went on five morning shows, like news shows. Right. So he had no no regard for. And he was he was on record. He was upset because the government was starting to put some some advisories in place relative to travel from these Ebola and uh, related areas, and he was upset because some of his colleagues had been caught up in it. And so he he made some statements. That ace, they're they're obviously not sick. They're not a danger to others. Asymptomatic spread being a total. Everybody yeah, knows. He said that uh, quarantines and and lockdowns. Again, this is with regards to Ebola, which is a much deadlier disease than a coronavirus. That lockdowns and quarantines were not helpful. Right. Ebola and coronavirus are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. The, Ebola right. is the most de- one of the most deadly diseases known to man. It oper- it acts really quickly. And coronavirus is one of the most contagious ones, and it's the second most common cause of the common cold. And it turns out that the death statistics on that are super low, and everybody catches it, just like Dr. Erickson said. There's a reason that Ebola isn't so widespread. It's because it kills its host. That's right. And so it doesn't often have a chance to spread, you know, in in a wide, worldwide Right. setting. Now, yes, it's, they it, should take precautions right. to it can spread in close, quarantine close, sick people. tight-knit communities that don't have good sanitation, right? That's It always happens in these these villages in Afri- Africa, and they don't necessarily have the clean water there's supplies a, we have. There's a little puff piece that local Channel 2 News did about Angela Dunn early on in this, because she's a celebrity now, you know, a D-minus list Utah celebrity. <laughs> D-minus. But what are we, F-minus? <laughs> we're not even on the... We don't we're have like a, in a Z category. Yeah. But they did this little puff piece, and they, they had a picture of her. She went to Africa and was working with Ebola patients, and she wasn't wearing any PPE, no mask, no gloves. And, you know, of course, she's been one of the biggest local fear cheer people. Mm-hmm. With when it comes to masks and social distancing and all of that, and so the 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 big question here in my mind is why why what you know even even like Fauci, there's a lot of other doctors who said in the spring and you know February of last year a year ago like no of course we're not going to wear masks that's silly that's stupid to, to mask the whole population and then they changed their they changed their minds why. Why? Was it just social pressure? Well, where was that social pressure coming from? Why did they change their minds? And I think that if there's got to be some reporter out there with resources and some uh, gumption who will, who will uncover this. There's, a, there's an incredible story waiting to be uncovered on, on the national level, but also in, in all 50 states. There's a story right here in Utah that if some investigative reporter, if we had any, could could uncover money trails and 
you know, meetings with federal officials, that there's a story here. Well, I don't know if it's a scandalous story, but there's a story. I'm not sure who, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, in media who are just going along with it because that's the, the disenlightened way that they've been taught. Yeah, they're non-player characters. We talked about that last time. These NPC reporters, like Jake Tapper, are finally, are finally sort of looking at Cuomo, Governor Cuomo from New York. And, and sort, of, sort of starting to criticize him, which is bizarre because we knew back in the spring that he was sending infected people into nursing homes. He was basically, you know, if you want to continue the dry tinder analogy, he was sending people— Starting with, forest fires. Yeah, he was sending people into the forest with torches and starting fires. And New York, New York State has done— horribly during this pandemic their death rate is higher than i think anywhere else in the country well they're uh, they're one of the main reasons for all the hysteria because they've created so many deaths you've got right. to have a lot of deaths to create the hysteria wall street journal ran a story about how new york doctors were using ventilators not because they believed it would help patients because that they were scared of getting this virus and so they were basically and they admit this in the article they were basically Killing people in order to save themselves. That's a scandal. To keep themselves away from the, the patients, they just put them on a ventilator because then they can just let them sit. Right, and they wouldn't have to go in there. And, and, and these ventilators are, are rough on, on, on you when you're on one. And, and you basically, they would just let them die. And those doctors probably should be criminally investigated because that's a, that's a, that's a tragedy. That's a scandal. But... Probably all we'll get is the Wall Street Journal article. Right. And these guys will go on continuing to practice medicine. I don't think any of these public health types, like Fauci, like locally done, like whoever's in your state, they should be have their medical degrees or licenses stripped. They should never work in public health again because they have they have participated in this enormous lie, this enormous scandal, and they've hurt people. They they've broken their oaths as doctors. And they've deliberately hurt people. And that's not something that I don't think can be disputed. When you get up in public and you say, don't go visit the elderly, wear your mask in public, do all of these, you know, endorse all of these closures and all of this, this lie of hospitals being overwhelmed. There's consequences for your words. Words do have consequences, especially when you're a person of authority. That's what the Democrats have tried to do to Trump, right? And said his words caused a riot. Now, he was acquitted again. And you can argue whether or not that's true. But here you have hospital executives, you have politicians, you have doctors who for a year now have lied to us about basically everything. And right. will they ever be held accountable? Yeah. And that's what I was saying is that the, there seem to be a lot of people in media that are true believers that, that aren't willing to, to think for themselves, and they're just going along. They're the NPCs, right? But you've got somewhere back there, there's a story somewhere, some sort of a chain of um, coordination where uh, people are willing to continue to put out the lies because they're, they really are obvious. And the question is, when does the American public say enough is enough? But... The, there seems to be this uh, strategy of moving the goalposts, and that's what I wanted to point out, is these folks at the top are um, expert at jerking us around, 
and they have they have two different strategies that I see employed right now. One is they keep moving the goalposts, and that's what they've been doing since flatten the curve. Since the very beginning, it's been move the goalposts, move the goalposts, keep telling them this, keep telling them that. And that's why we know they have no credibility because they can't get anything right. They keep saying statements that, that don't come to fruition or that, you know, it, it, when they see that people are getting a little unruly, maybe they're like, okay, yeah, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and then pretty soon there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to be 2022, and you're going to have to have four shots, 17 shots. Or whatever. Right. Bill Gates, speaking of but him the, again, said, but said three shots. Three, yeah, he's now saying three shots. And that, that, he, that watch for it. It's going to be 17 by the end of the year or something. Or it's going to become something that you have to have every year. Or, yeah, they'll say, well, you just, this is your last shot. You just need to get one more shot. See, they're not going to tell you 17 up front. They're going to tell you just one more, just two more weeks, just flatten the curve. But it, when, when that doesn't work, when people, when people begin to call them on it, when the, when the shark is jumped here, then they, they switch crises. This is the, when they then try to distract you with something else. And so we talked about this in some of our predictions episodes. Uh, is it possible they're going to foist an alien invasion on us? Go back and check that episode. I think it was around episode four. But you pointed out climate change. Are they going to literally be able to, to somehow convince us that climate change needs to be dealt with. I mean, they, they haven't been able to do that so far, I think because the, pu- the they just can't get enough of the public believing that, that it's a real thing when the climate has changed naturally for so many years. And every winter and summer, it, you know, it, they, 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 call, they call out these crises during the extreme weather events, but then it always comes back to summer or it always goes back to winter. And so I, I do think that if they could, they would try to convince us that if the sun, you know, when the sun goes down at night, that it won't come back up in the morning if we don't pay them a bunch of money, give them all of our uh, allegiance and worship them and, you know, do whatever they say. That's where they have they have something significant that's different than previous. And that's they they now have precedent for lockdowns. They know that... It, they know that societies will willingly lock down and will stay home for two weeks, which becomes 52 weeks to slow the spread. Well, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get two weeks to slow the spread of pollution. We just need to shut down everything for two weeks and then let that pollution dissipate. You, you might remember that during that initial two weeks in March and April, as we went into two to four to eight weeks, there was a lot of praise for how beautiful uh, Los Angeles was, that the smog had cleared and you could see the ocean and you could see, and they were talking about basically how, look look at all the great things that happen when people aren't out and about in their cars and going to work. And right. It's like sure, yeah. The the smog. That's cleared. the whole kill off humanity. But yeah, think how beautiful thing. it would be if everyone was dead. Yeah, you know, and yeah. th- but that's the the belief system of the Malthusians who want to depopulate the earth. People like Bill Gates, whose goals he even says them. His goals are always fewer people on the planet. He talks about that and he, he couches it in terms of like women's health and well see that's the funny thing is and we got we got a link to the uh, there's an article done by the children's uh, children's health defense Robert F Kennedy Jr's uh, group where they they point out all the instances where the Gates Foundation has been uh, kicked out of like African countries because there was like a, a literally a, a group of Catholic doctors that 
banded together to get the Gates Foundation kicked out of, I think, three different... Uh, I'm going to put the link up. I think India got them out of there, in, Well, too. in India, it was for p- p- paralysis for the polio right. vaccine. There was like half a million kids pa- paralyzed by the, by the Gates vaccine in India. But in Kenya, I, I think it was Kenya and Tanzania were two of the countries, these Catholic doctors had got him kicked out because their vaccines were sterilizing these young women. Right, right. And when Gates was once asked about it and just didn't, didn't uh, respond very well, but the point, his, my point, and Bill Gates' singular reason for existing in his mind is to save the earth from itself, to save it, save us from ourselves. And who does he target? Well, he targets the poor and the... Uh, the, you know, these countries where, in his mind, them having children is a bad thing and it's hurting the earth. He's even said that. He's said that in the turn, but he's couched it That's as the in, excuse. He's like, if we can make these women healthier, they won't have to have ten kids in order to have six kids. Meaning, you know, four would die. He, they could just have six kids. Well, of course, he doesn't want them to have any, and. He's a demented lunatic. That's why I say he's a he's a lunatic. Yeah, he's, these, he's insane. These people they these people see us as a herd. Literally, they are the shepherds. We are the sheep to be sheared, to be fleeced, to be uh, killed and eaten, sacrificed at their whim and will and pleasure. That's the way they really see us. Is as if we are a resource, a human resource. And where do you think that term comes from? Right. Human resources. <laughs> It comes from this this Malthusian mentality that they own us and they can do whatever they want and with us. And that there us. are too many of us. And the way that their methods, the means justify the end, or the end is justified by the means. Am I saying that right? Either way. The end, <laughs> the end justifies the means is how that goes. Man, I'm having a... Today's not my best day. But uh, there, are, there really are two end games here. Uh, I see two possibilities. Either... Either the people wake up and realize the media is the boy who cried wolf, and we just completely disregard them. And, th- and that means we're going to have to disregard the, the cartel-like media state behavior. You're going to have to, at some point, civilly disobey the mandates that the, it, it, the idiotic and anti-natural rights mandates that are coming out of government. Because, you know, it, there's a difference between morality and legality. And we have a duty to resist bad law. We have so much bad law in the books right now that it's, it's very difficult because it's come in a creeping fashion. But good men and women everywhere have a duty to resist evil, bad laws. They have a moral duty to it because that, that, the greater morality is for the, the enlightenment and the progression of society. They, these people say they're for progress. They digress. They say they're for light and they're for darkness. I mean, that's really where we're at. And so it's either... Either we realize they're the boy who cried wolf when we start to just walk away and civilly disobey, and, and uh, hopefully, you know, 75% of America figures that out because we need a significant majority of people to actually do that in order for that to work. Otherwise, the, the poor folks who are just waiting and watching, you know, oh, you know the, they, they wear a mask because they don't want to offend someone or they, they know it's not... They, they know there's something wrong with this, but they don't want to be the, they don't want to be the one that gets in trouble or the one that causes a conflict. You know, if, if that's if that's the way it goes, where the, that middle forty percent of America just continues to go along to get along, then we end up in 1984. The other option is 1984. The other option is, um, 
they control us and they are not going to let people live. They're going to kill a lot of people either way. Either way, a lot of people die here because because when you walk away from them, then the then it goes beyond politics and, you know, bam, wars, persecution, social cleansing, whatever. The, the thing that's interesting about what's going on right now is, you know, they're literally canceling people. They're, they're, they're censoring and canceling and cutting off their livelihoods in sort of this um, modernized, soft Spanish Inquisition, right? It's everybody, everybody knows what's going on and they can see it happening, but they're not, they're not literally coming to your house and taking you away to prison yet, unless you're Dr. Simone Gold or somebody like that that they have an excuse for. But they're, they're engaging in this sort of massive, soft social cleansing where you're, you're being taken out of the digital opt-in world and in some cases out of the money system. And I think that's because Americans own, you know, close to f- between 450 million guns and 600 million guns in America. And I, know, I realize that the percentage of gun ownership is more like 40% of Americans own guns. So it's not like, it's not like all Americans have two guns. There's a lot, there's a lot of people who have a lot of guns. I, I don't have any guns. I lost all of mine in a strange boating accident one time, but, uh, there are, there are lots of people out there that have firearms, and I, I really think that's the main thing, that the, the main difference between us and the rest of the world is they push it too far too fast, and they've got a shooting war on their hands. Well, you've got, you've got cops in European countries and New Zealand and Australia who are beating down the door and dragging people out of homes. So I've seen videos of and we're not talking they're not chasing chasing down criminals they're they got a just tip. people just people who have an extra a, they got a, a tip family, that a family was having uh, some friends over for dinner uh. and they literally dragged these people out of their home or and, somebody made a comment on social media that they didn't like right yeah lo- when it comes to canceling people too the the bar is so absurd like the the standard like you can you can be canceled for almost anything i mean Gina Carano got fired from The Mandalorian for making a pretty benign comment about how in Germany the people the people bought into the lies of the government and it led to catastrophe. Yeah. She's saying isn't that the same as where we're at now? Isn't that the same as isn't isn't hating somebody because of their race or religion the same as hating someone for their political beliefs? Yes, of course. Hating somebody for these reasons leads to bad outcomes and then she got she got fired and but of course her co-star pedro pascal said that trump supporters were nazis so basically said the same thing but in a more even a more uh harsh way and he's not being fired from the show so there's that hypocrisy he is the mandalorian he, he is at least we saw his face we but think he is we don't ever see his face and you know it'd be easy to yeah it'd be easy to that. take him out um the point is, though, that you can be silenced and 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 criticized and fired and canceled for almost anything, and that's led to, especially in the academic world, a lot of people, a lot of professors, a lot of researchers, who are unwilling to say anything. They see it's just, this. This is like in Truman Show when his boat crashes against the wall, right? Spoiler. 
Go listen to our last episode. The boat crashes against the edge of the dome, which absolutely 100% verifies the suspicions that Truman had, these growing suspicions that he was living in a false reality. That confirms it. It's like it's the boat has hit the wall, and yet you still have people saying, there is no wall there. That is the real sky. This is the real ocean. Mm-hmm. You have people who see what's happening right in front of their eyes, but they will not speak out for fear of their own safety, their own livelihood. We're at a point. That is the refusal of the call in the Joseph Campbell right. hero's journey. We're, we're right journey. there. And we wa- I want to point out, before you get into this, we're going to get to Joseph Campbell. We're going to get to the Minotaur. Um, we're going to link a, to an article from a, a woman who's a liberal woman who works at... Uh, was it Smith College or something Smith back College east in Mass- Massachusetts? Massachusetts. Uh, so she's very liberal minded, and she finally just had enough because she because she was white. She recognized that everything was about race. They're telling you that it's to to correct racism, but it's all about race. It's they they're always evil is good, good is evil. They're telling you that they're they're trying to fix a problem, and they are causing the problem. In the America in the last forty years has enjoyed kind of a golden age of very minimal i know there is racism out there but enjoyed minimal race difficulties and now it's coming to the point where we literally could have a race war because of what they're doing telling white people that they are bad because of the color of their skin which is by definition (laughs) racism (laughs) she was in in the words of coca-cola she was basically being told to be less white Right, she she'd had enough of it. College. She she lodged the complaints in, and this article is really good. I hope everybody reads it. She lodged her complaints with the college, and she came to the point where they were going to make a settlement with her to shut her up, to try and quiet her up. And she said, "No, for the sake of truth, I'm just going to quit my job, which wasn't wasn't a very good paying job. I'm just going to quit this job, and I'm going to tell the truth. And right. I think that we're this may be the junk jump the shark moment or part of it, where people who are who have traditionally wanted to be followers of Rachel Maddow on MSNBC and wanted to, uh, you know, be in that liberal crowd are recognizing the damage that their thought leaders are inflicting upon the public mind and upon the society at large. And they are, if that's where we're at, where people are going to act as courageously as this woman uh, from Smith college, I don't even remember her name. We got to tell her name, but um, if if that's where we're at, where those people are finally willing to see what's happening, then we're we're going somewhere. We're we're going to accept the call. So is is society is society going to accept the call, or is society going to reject the call? That is the sixty four thousand dollar question. Her name was Jody Shaw. Okay, thank you, Jody, for being so courageous. Well, right, and and. Again, the, the obvious absurdity is right in front of our eyes. It's like the boat hitting the wall. There's a movement out there that, that is claiming that math is racist, that, that encouraging kids to find the correct answer, the correct math answer, which is as objective as anything in the world. Math is objective as anything in the world. They're telling kids that finding the right answer is white supremacy. And here's his name again. Bill Gates and his foundation have endorsed that idea that encouraging kids to find the right answer is white right. supremacy and racism. And, and let's not let's not uh, let's make sure that we're we're being clear here. Gates is essentially the 
poster child for the robber barons, the tax exempt foundations. It's not him. He's he's a front man. He's like a he's throwaway. These right. people have far more wealth than Bill Gates, and it's spread out and obscured through. He's the guy they've multinational corporations to put out there. They put him in a sweater, and he's supposed to be like this grandpa figure, this smart, generous billionaire. He's not generous. He doesn't give away a penny. Every he always puts it into his foundation. Everything that goes into his foundation and everything he supports provides a return on his investment. Right. And his wealth has grown exponentially said he, since he said he was going to give it all away. Right, no, he, but they put it into a tax-exempt foundation because the foundation is, now wait for it, tax-exempt. Okay, <laughs> right. hold on. Let me back that up. Which means, okay, now hold on. It's, you, you, it's, mean that, you mean that he took his for-profit money and put it into a vehicle that he doesn't pay taxes on? Oh. But that he still invests into things like vaccines and education and meat and fake meat, and he gets a return on those investments. No, no, his foundation gets a return. And he gets a... Who controls the foundation? Right. Oh, well, it's the Gates family. <laughs> okay. Not and, to mention he buys up a lot of influence. He's this. He's the single biggest donor, private donor, non-government donor to the WHO, and to places like the CDC the, the, and the WEF yeah. and but all this, of these this is world old government. The, the, this has been going on, and you know this. We ta- organizations. We've talked about it. This has been going on since the early 1900s, and I'll have to link to the interview between G. Edward Griffin and Norman Dodd. I think we might have mentioned it before. Where, where uh, Norman Dodd, the chief investigator for the Reese Committee in the 50s the Congressional Committee to Investigate the Undue Influence of the Tax Exempt Foundations, finds out that in 1909 or 11 or something like that, the third year of the Carnegie Endowment for World for International Peace, the third year of their existence, they were plotting and scheming to figure out how to involve the United States in a world war. Literally, that's how evil these people yeah, we, are. We talked about Sherlock Holmes. If you watch the, is it the second Sherlock Holmes? Where they tackle... Sherlock. Well, we talked about the first. Sherlock we talked about the first one, and then but, I think it's but the, the second, second one, one is about involving how they finance yeah. both sides of the war. Yeah, and use secret combinations to do that. Mm-hmm. So this idea of the call to adventure—we're all experiencing a call to adventure right now, and it can take take form depending on your situation and who you are and where you're at. But the 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 call like Jordan talked about, the call is going to involve some kind of disobedience or walking away or turning your back on the people who think that they are your betters and to think that they have the brains and the authority and the and the morality to organize your life. Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen. You have to ignore them. And that might mean taking off your mask. It might mean not going to Hawaii on vacation because Hawaii wants you to quarantine for two weeks. Or it might mean not going anywhere because the airline is going to require a vaccine passport. There are already vaccine passport requirements starting to creep into everyday life. This is, this is immoral. This is, this is a very dubious thing because that's going to creep into all kinds of passports, including ideological passports. Did you vote for Donald Trump? I'm sorry, we will not let you stay at our hotel it's on your permanent record. The it's the Chinese social credit system, right? And it's coming here. And we've been we've been groomed. We've been groomed to accept that through our social media. Social media is a social credit system. You get retweets and likes and comments, and 
You get canceled if you say the wrong things. You get punished for wrong think. So that's all coming. So this call to adventure is staring us right in the face. If you're listening to this, I like to think maybe you've accepted that. You've accepted the call. Not that we have any insight or, or enlightenment, but you're at least entertaining wrong think ideas because everything we say on here is wrong think. Right. It's, it's definitely diametrically, diametrically opposed to the narrative that you're getting out of the media. And so, yeah, if, you've, if you're listening to this, you are the resistance, as it says in uh, Terminator. This is John Connor. If you're hearing this transmission, you are the resistance. And there are a lot of uh, podcasts and uh, media personalities talking in that way, but you really, you really are. And you need to spread the word. You need to, you need to be as careful and, and intuitive about it, you know, listening to, the, to God, listening to whatever spiritual force is guiding you, but connect with people and help encourage them to push the boundaries and let's push back and let's explain that the, the emperor is not wearing any clothes and point out the absurdities carefully. Try to do it in the body politic versus beyond right. politics. Read the room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it. Be, be contextually appropriate. But that's what the world needs right now. We need people to be catching on to this and accepting the call. If you're waiting for your governor to say, we're in the all clear, you no longer have to wear a mask, you no longer have to social distance, you no longer have to uh, abandon your grandma, you're not going to get that. The governor is not going to do that in most cases. How, how long will it take us? Are we really to that point where we're realizing they are not going to let up? They will always have some new crisis, some new development, some, some more deadly strain in the UK or in Japan to talk about, and, and some level of case, uh, in, increased number of cases to keep us under their thumb. How, how long is it going to take before we realize this is not going to end? Because if you get a vaccine, they're telling you that the vaccine doesn't actually fix it for you. You still have to stay... Still double mask, still socially yeah, isolated. They're, 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 they're not saying you can get COVID, but they're telling you you can still spread it. So you still have to act like uh, asymptomatic spread is real. You still have to pretend you're a de deadly disease spreader. Until everybody gets the vaccine. And when everybody gets the vaccine, then we'll have a new crisis where we need a new vaccine or some other thing so, so they can keep controlling us. Refusal of the call is to continue to mindlessly go along with this. I understand that in certain circumstances. Well, tell you, us the story of Minos. You got to. Yeah. I understand that in certain circumstances, you got to wear the mask or whatever. But it doesn't mean you have to mindlessly do it and just accept that these people have authority over you. So uh, an example of a refusal of a call from mythology is King Minos. Which Bobby likes to pronounce Minos or Minos? I don't know. Minos seems to... It's probably Minos. Minos seems to flow a little better. So I think I got it, I think I got it wrong. I think King Minos. And his, he's uh, got a son... Androgus, and that uh, andro in Greek means man. So this is like a, this is a, this is a priestly or kingly hierarchy, a godly hierarchy here. Yeah, and 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 the the legend is that King Minos is the offspring of Zeus and a mortal woman named Europa. So he's part divine, and he's a 
respected but not necessarily well-loved king. He's kind of brutal. He's a military guy. He wins a lot of wars. But uh, he's he's kind of your typical warrior king, and he's 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 successful at it, and he has this empire. And uh, one day, one day, uh, a white bull appears in his kingdom, and that, and that's a good omen. And King Minos is really excited about it and really likes this white bull. But the god Poseidon, who's the god of the ocean, god of the sea, says, you got to sacrifice that white bull to me. So he was told to sacrifice it to send it into the ocean. Well, Minos didn't like that, and uh, he liked the bull enough that he decided to keep it for himself, and he sacrificed another animal instead. This is uh, we we. This is kind of harkens to the Cain and Abel. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Cain and Abel. Theme. I was going to say, yeah. So, Abel Abel sacrifices what God asks, and Cain sacrifices what Satan tells him to sacrifice, but still sacrifices it to God. And and while we're while we're um, paused here, this is very interesting because the symbolism of this goes all the way back to Egypt to the age of Taurus. You had, of course, Taurus is the great bull. And at that time, when Taurus was coming up behind the spring equinox morning sun, they, some people probably worshipped the bull, but the, but the symbol of the bull was used to commemorate the great sun god, the god that brings light and life to the world, which is a symbol of, of the true gods of light, and, you know, Jesus Christ and his father, and their pantheon of other heavenly hosts that are on the good side— this uh, this bull becomes the symbol, and so you find it wanders its way into the Greek mythos at this point, and the idea of a bull and a cow symbolizing the great high mother and fa- father and mother gods f- is is still um, is still visible in the world today. In, in India, they they treat cows uh, with deference and then you've got that sacred cow idea coming out of there because of the great mother and we even use the term holy cow today whenever you do that you're paying homage to the great mother so well the gods weren't happy with minos's decision to keep the god rather the bull right and he needed to sacrifice it sacrifice it. it it's emblematic of the sacrifice of of uh, the lord jesus when he comes down and and he he's also later on called the lamb of god because of the age of Taurus or Aries, which followed Taurus, which was a great ram. And so therefore we all aspire to be sheep of the sheepfold of the of the of the Lamb of God or the great shepherd. So you can see how this uh, this uh, procession of the equinoxes factors into even our Christian religion. He tells then at the, at the time of Christ, the uh, age was changing from, Aries to Pisces, and he calls his disciples and says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, because now we're talking about fish. And so the you get the Jesus fish, and then in the age of Darwin, you get the fish with the little two little legs on it. Right. Which it actually isn't so bad, but I'm, you know, I'm not into Darwin. It's just having feet moves, moves you, so that's good. It's progression. <laughs> well, as punishment for keeping the bull him, to himself, the gods cause Minos's wife, uh, Pasiphaea, 
to fall in love with the bull. And she is so mad with desire that she she goes to the local kind of kingly wizard priest, a man named Didalis, who creates a mechanical bull in which she can hide in. And she, uh, wearing this bull costume, goes and uh, has a union, we'll call it, with the white bull. And gives birth to a monstrous creature with the head of a bull and the body of a man. Something you've no doubt heard of. The Minotaur. Right. And, again, this was all punishment for refusing the call. The call was to sacrifice the bull. Well, Minos is obviously angry. And so he imprisons Daedalus in a tower. But he's a smart guy, and and he creates uh, wings out of wood and wax and feathers and he and his son fly to freedom from the tower with these wax wings well you've probably heard of his son his son flies too close to the sun and what's his son's name icarus icarus right? you've heard, you've of, heard him, of icarus yeah and he, you know the story he flies too close to the sun his wings melt and he falls into the sea so that's kind of where that story comes from. But in the meantime, Minos takes the Minotaur and imprisons it in a maze. And he basically it, sacrifices young men to the Minotaur. He puts them into the maze, or some of these young men come willingly. So now it's reversed. Right. People are getting sacrificed to the Minotaur. This all happens on the island of Crete. Crete, of course, is closer down towards Egypt. Uh, it's you've heard it spoken of this is minoan mythology and so there there are a lot of variations of greek mythology that end up getting combined into sort of a elementary school rendition of of what uh greek mythology is and then it gets retranslated in like the uh percy jackson series you know so now we really don't even know which way is up but i think it's very interesting how all this plays out in the region eventually so yeah, there's a lot more to the story, but we don't necessarily need to go into it. But he was, as tribute, Minos was basically feeding the Minotaur, Minotaur young men until uh, Theseus came along and uh, was able to defeat the Minotaur with the help of Minos's, Minos's daughter, who told him about, you know, basically gave him the hint of the string behind him so he could find his way out. But the the key here that we want to focus on is the refusal of the call. And in this case, it's Minos's desire to pursue his own will over the will of the gods. And Joseph Campbell, uh, I'm just going to read a little bit from Joseph Campbell. This is from the Hero of a Thousand pa- Pages, <laughs> Hero of a Thousand Faces, page 60. He says, King... King Minos retained the divine bull when the sacrifice would have signified submission to the will of the God of his society, for he preferred what he conceived to be his economic advantage. Thus, he failed to advance into the life role that he had assumed. And we have seen with what calamitous effect the divinity itself became his terror. For obviously, if one is oneself's one's God, then God himself, the will of God, the power that would destroy one's egocentric system, becomes a monster. We've seen that. I When I read that, I thought immediately of 
Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo sent people to their death, and he is so egocentric that he has blamed everybody but himself. It's possible, you know, early in the pandemic, Cuomo was being praised because he was bold. He was, he was, in fact, President Trump praised him. And I thought, I thought this is, back then I didn't think any way that Joe Biden was going to make it to November. I thought they were going to replace him. And I thought <laughs> Cuomo would be, would be the choice. They're, they're, they're going to get their own brash, bold, arrogant king man to, to counter Trump. But the narrative with Cuomo early on and even into the fall was that he was this this brilliant COVID warrior that made hard choices and who won like an didn't somebody win an Emmy or he did. And he's written a <laughs> what book. What does that mean? He's written a book. <laughs> he's written a book. I didn't know they gave Emmys for whatever they politicians? Yeah, I don't I don't know. But he wrote a book about how awesome. I think he it's was. I think it's appropriate that they're giving out Emmys to these politicians because they are actors. Right. Hypocrites. That's true. <laughs> The point is, though, that these politicians and health, public health people, these Twitter uh, elite, these doctors that are cashing in, literally cashing in on all of this hysteria and panic and fear, have become their own gods. They've become gods unto themselves, and they're sacrificing us. We're the sacrificial young men being sent to our deaths in the, in the maze so that they feel better about their aggrandizement, their self-aggrandizement. So it makes it possible. It makes their self-aggrandizement possible. It makes their lucrative mon, uh, paychecks possible. There's these foundations. Again, Bill Gates is involved with so many of them that are paying these doctors to advise things. And basically, they're just paying them to be COVID celebrities. Well, they're paying them to enforce the narrative of the Babylon system, of the Agora, right. the the devilish matrix-style system that keeps the humans uh, captive as batteries. So not only are they doing this for wealth, but they're doing it for their father, who is the father of darkness, the father of lies, and who is the one that uh, ultimately gets to suck all the life out of everybody. So the, the story of king minos is that if we if you reject the will of god there's going to be there's going to be consequences and the consequences often have to do with just not not becoming the person that you could become not becoming the person you were destined to become and a lot of us a lot of us will reject the call will refuse the call and it doesn't mean we end up becoming murderous dictators or anything like that. It might just mean that we live a really mediocre life and that we spend our whole life saying, uh, you know, I, I, I always wanted to do this. I always wanted to do that, but it just didn't work out. I always wanted to learn to play the piano. I always wanted to write a book. I always wanted to be a teacher, but, you know, I got to pay the bills and, you know, eh, I'm not going to do it. And we live our whole lives uh, living. There's another author who wrote a book called Pause. <laughs> um, Pause for dramatic effect. 
We interrupt this broadcast. We, we interrupt this uh, transmission for a broadcast from the emergency... How does it go? We, inter- we interrupt this transmission for a message from the emergency broadcast system. The Mind Virus podcast has been deemed, been deemed unthink. We will now unperson Bobby and Jordan. That has been the end of our broadcast. We will now return to mind-numbing programming. Okay. Um, there's another author. His name is Stephen Pressfield. You've probably never heard of him, but I, you've probably seen a movie based on a book he wrote that starred Will Smith called The Legend of Bagger Vance. You remember that movie, the golf movie? Yeah. I've yeah. heard it's a... I, I remember watching it, but uh, was talking to somebody recently that was explaining that some of the metaphors in there about the perfect, the perfect uh, swing. Right? Is that the one where he? I think so. Yeah. yeah. With um, one of those golfers from back then, Sam something or other. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yeah, I'm not a big golf but guy. He, he, the author Stephen Pressfield has written a lot of kind of motivational type books about create the creative process and. Uh, he ca- he has one called the War of Art. It's a little play on yeah. Sun Tzu, but he talks about how we end up living shadow lives, basically lives that are an echo or a shadow of what we are capable of living, and it's really easy to fall into that shadow life because you get a comfortable job, which maybe you hate or doesn't have a lot of fulfillment but it's comfortable it pays well it's easy and so you just do that for 40 years and because you want a retirement and then you retire and then only then when you retire when you're 70 years old do you decide to try to start to do interesting things and to then go you see the world realize that it's hard to do that when you're 70 or older and so his point is kind of like joseph campbell's and refusing the call it's when you do that, when you refuse the call, or when you decide that it's okay to live a shadow life, you're going to miss out on the person you could be. And that could be anything. It, it, it doesn't matter the line of work. Well, and vice versa. When you decide not to live the shadow life, you're going to miss out on the person you could be in the Babylon system. Right, exactly. It's an oppor- there's always opportunity costs. You could, like Daniel, you could accept the Babylonian system and become a, 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 a political hero and have all the wine, women, and song that you want, or you could get cast into the lion's cast den. Cast into the lion's <laughs> den eventually. And, and you know, that story, it's not like the king was wrathful or vengeful. He was doing, he was bound to, to the law, and he loved Daniel. And I think Daniel loved him, and it was hard for him to do. And of course, the Lord spared Daniel and his companions. Um, it's interesting to, to just a little side note to think that when Daniel was carried away into Babylon, his friend Nephi escaped. Maybe his friend Nephi escaped from Jerusalem before that happened. That was the that was the invasion that Lehi warned about, right? Yeah, and took his family and they they fled to the wilderness. Well, Daniel. Who was a who was contemporary, and we don't know if they knew each other, <laughs> yeah. but it's kind of fun to think that they probably could have. And he was carried into Babylon, Babylon in that invasion. 
anyway, just a little side note there that gives you a little time time reference, time frame. Well, Legend of Bagger Vance, The War of Art. Yeah, Stephen's Stephen Pressfield and he's these books these these books that he's written are really kind of short easy reads if you're interested he has one I think called the art of work something like that oh, the this, art of now we're <laughs> this whole series but his point is his point in all of them is to he ha, he talks about something called resistance where and he compares it to dragons and things like that this idea that there's this force of nature he calls it resistance that that pushes you into be into denying the call to adventure, into denying your your better nature, and into putting off and going ahead and living in the shadows, and how the battle with resistance is a daily battle. And if you've ever tried to create anything, you'll you'll understand that there's always a hundred excuses why you won't sit down at the computer and write or pick up the paintbrush and paint or the music and play or clean or your write. garage or clean your garage <laughs> this isn't just creative arts it's not just things like that in fact he kind of says anything can be art because you can create you can create things in any line of work that you're in the point is becoming finding that thing that you love to do and this isn't some sort of like live your passion nonsense what he's saying is the opposite of that in the sense of just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you're going to be good at it or that it's going to be something you can do every day. What he's saying is whatever your work is, whatever you decide your work to be, make it make it worth your time and your effort. So if you have a job you don't like, maybe it's just because you're not putting yourself into it in the right way. Anyway, we're devolving into some sort of Tony Robbins-ish. <laughs> the, but underlying this all is is this idea in our lives that we can choose between greatness and comfort. And and sometimes it is a choice between those two. Sometimes you can have both, but not usually. The great athletes, the great, the people who do great things in this world that we all praise and admire usually don't spend a lot of their lives being comfortable. You know, Kobe Bryant was a great example of just someone who he worked really hard. And yeah, he made tons of money, but he was up at 4 a.m., he would work out on game days, and he did more than everyone else around him, and, and it showed, right? He's just a good example of sort of being disciplined and working hard and being great at what he decided to do. What his calling was. Right. He, for him, basketball was a calling, and it was an obvious one. I mean, he had the the uh, physical endowment. Sure. And, uh, but a lot of people do and don't make it. Well, he had the talent, right? And he had the work ethic. He had all the stars aligned for him. There's a lot of people who have the physical traits, but don't, yeah, don't ever make it yeah. for whatever reason. There was one basketball player in the NBA who played for the Jazz for a little while, the Utah Jazz here locally, and the Jazz ended up trading him, and in that trade, ended up with Donovan Mitchell. So it was a really good trade, yeah. maybe the best trade ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that player, I can't even remember his name. But he, he once he got traded over to Denver, he said something like, "Man, I didn't like Utah. We we practiced for two hours every day, <laughs> and, and he basically said it was too hard." And I thought he's someone who wants the he wants the fruits of being an NBA star, but isn't willing to to put in the labor to become one. And he's not one. I don't even know if he's on a team anymore. Hmm. 
he wasn't. Did, Den- did Denver not practice two hours a day? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But he was unwilling. He was unwilling to do even the minimum. Yeah. You know, in addition to the team practice, Kobe was doing his own thing, and yeah. he said some NBA players would come and try to try to uh, do the workout with them, and they would last a few days. And think, this is too much. Really. Anyway. Didn't know that. We've gone off a little bit. No, but we, uh, we're we talking about people picking up the baton here, taking the, taking the torch, do, you know, doing what they're realizing they need to be doing. And, you know, now, now's a good time. <laughs> I'm not saying anybody here should quit their job, but now's a good time to look at your retirement potentially in the future and go, the way the society's headed, I mean, am I really going to have a retirement like my parents or like my grandparents in the golden age of America? Are we? Re- is that really where we're headed? Because, see, in my opinion, and I, I hate to be depressing here. Well, I don't really hate it, but I'm going to be just trying to warn you <laughs> ahead of time. American society has long since rejected the call. And largely due to secret combinations, criminal syndicates, you know, an oligarchy that's trying to co-opt us, we, we have failed to listen to those prophets um, who have explained to us the direction this world was headed. For example, the John Birch Society, those guys in the 60s and 70s were maligned as these, these crazy conspiracy people who were worried about this march towards globalism and that there was going to be some sort of a global governance and, and all these, the, the destruction of natural rights and, and this tyranny happening. So, you know, whether they were... Um, you know, in specific, whether whether the things they um, were talking about actually caused it to happen or not, it happened. Okay, <laughs> so they they were prophetic. There are a lot of people that warned about this happening. There's there's been a great deal of discussion going on, especially since JFK. But but the but the battle was lost with the with the construction of the private for profit central banking system where these guys can just buy whatever they want. And now the issue is, will American individuals accept the call? And will they then, like Jefferson says, set in place new guards for their future security, now recognizing the long train of abuses, recognizing um, what has happened, that they have the birthright to be the hero. They, they come from the line of a Theseus. Okay, so there's multiple versions of uh, the Minotaur story, but essentially it's Theseus that slays the Minotaur. And uh, one of the stories here that I want to focus on, so again, remember, you can can get a lot of different narratives out of this, but this is the one I think is important. Because in a way, Theseus turns out to be a little bit of a scoundrel because he, he, uh, well, I'll tell you that in just a minute. King Minos had some... uh, imperial sway over the city of Athens, and he was requiring that seven Athenian youths, uh, meaning young men, and seven maidens drawn by lots every seventh year or ninth year in some accounts would have to be sent to Crete to be devoured by the Minotaur. So he was he was farming out the, the sacrificial people in, into, his, uh, into his area of influence there. And so Theseus is the son of Aegeus, and he volunteered to slay the monster in the one that I'm reading here. He promises his father, Aegeus, that he would put a white sail on his ship 
when he journeys back home if he's successful, right? But that they would put up a black sail if he was ki- killed. And when he gets to Crete, um, the daughter of Minos, Ariadne, falls madly in love with Theseus and tries to help him navigate the the labyrinth. And, and sh- this is where that string idea comes from. She gives him some hints as to how if, to... If, if he'll marry her afterward. So right. her, so that's her where help he, is conditional. Yeah, so that's where he turns out to be a scoundrel because he doesn't want to marry Ariadne. Ar- Ariad, uh, Ariadne, excuse me. Well, anyway, but the the, the issue is that the, the Theseus is a prototypical hero because he he volunteers, he t- he accepts the call, and he enters the labyrinth. And the labyrinth is uh, a motif for eternal progression. It's about getting out of the captivity of this world, the labyrinthine um, mind prison that has been constructed for us. And it's it's a physical you know physical spiritual matrix or or a reality that's been foisted upon us and so there's so many levels of awakening it's like a labyrinth you know you you think oh i've i've recognized that there's a criminal syndicate running our government okay step one (laughs) of of a hundred or whatever and i don't know how many steps there are but the point is it's there's this labyrinth and we have to follow the advice of wisdom the the feminine to to get out of it and so uh theseus he he accepts the call and he goes on the the journey, and then he ends up slaying the, slaying the Minotaur. Well, we all in America right now are at that inflection point, you know, individually. We need to decide, are we going to do it, or are we going to just simply be sacrificed to the Minotaur, which represents, again, the, the devilish uh, evil in this world, whether, whether the devil himself or, or what, but it's the false... It was, a, it was all generated by a false sacrifice. It represents allegiance to, to the systems that keep us in, under control here in this world and in darkness, spiritually and physically. Afterward, Theseus abandons Ariadne, Ariadne, and she's upset, and the god uh, Dion, Dion, Dionysus Dionysus is Dionysus. how that's usually pronounced. That one I know because I've heard that said a lot. <laughs> and he he hears her. He comes and 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 he marries her instead. Mm-hmm. And um, he uh, he he helps Theseus forget to change the sails from black to white. So he pulls up to home, and with black sails, and somebody kills himself. His dad, Theseus's dad, the king. King Aegeus saw the black-sailed ships and was consumed by grief, thinking his son was dead. In his despair, he threw himself into the sea and drowned. Today, that stretch of water where he killed himself is still known as the Aegean Sea. Yeah. Yeah, so... These guys in these stories were always so rash. Maybe just wait until the boat, <laughs> wait and the see, boat yeah. shows up and at least find out what happened. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you want to know what happened? Well, anyway, let me let me read you something here that I think is really important because we're talking about accepting or rejecting the call here, and uh, in a way, we can look at the the future of America here, and we can look at the where we've come from. We've come from a, an era of relative pro- incredible prosperity, not just relative, but incredible. We live like the kings of old, just regular people do, and. Um, we can lament that we won't be able to take vacations when we're 70 years old because of the COVID passport or whatever, or we, or because the economy's crashing or, you know, 
the idea that if if the system destroys itself because everybody realizes it's the emperor's new clothes and that the media is the boy that cried wolf, if the, if it devolves into that kind of anarchy, that we won't have this comfort that the system built up over the last couple of hundred years has created for us. That's that's a real, um, I think, when you really start to analyze this, that's a that's the type of thinking you can have enter your head. But we have to ask ourselves the question, is that the... Is that what we were born for? Is that the extent of our existence, is to grow up, get a lot of money, and retire comfortably, and, and, and not ever have to go on the journey? And just consume, consume, consume. Right. Or can we turn our eyes heavenward? Can we turn our gaze upward and lay not up for ourselves treasure upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in the heavens where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart, your heart be also. Now the heart in the ancient world, and I'm reading Matthew chapter 6, starting in 19. In the ancient world, the heart was the center of feeling and intellect. It wasn't, it wasn't until, I think, you know, the 1800s, 19th century, that romance, you know, you get these gothic romance novels and people started to look at, scientifically look at the, the brain as an organ and how it worked. Um, but even in literature, we didn't get this idea of a reckless heart or the heart being an emotional organ until, you know, the, the 1800s, roughly around there, the heart was always the center of feeling and intellect. It was a very uh, c- cerebral or logical plus feeling. It was, it was a feeling uh, organism, organ, but the emotion, the, like the base emotion, was always in the gut, and in the bowels, in the, in the lower in te- in the, in the intestinal tract. And that's where you will see language in the scriptures like, my bowels are f- filled with compassion or something like that. Because the, the gut was where you had your emotion and the call heart... It- Gut instinct. Gut instinct, yeah. So that's, that's emotional. Uh, the heart is the, the feeling, uh, the center of intellect and the essence of the being. And so where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You have to ask yourself the question, is this life the end of our existence? Is, the, is having the goal of reinventing the American golden age, you know, following stock profits to the point where we can... Uh, live, you know, sumptuously, is that what we were made for? The next passage in Matthew 6 says, the, the, the picking up, it's, not, it's, it's just right after uh, the treasures in the heavens section, you get to verse 22 and it says, the light of the body is the eye. Now remember, we're talking about descending into darkness today because we've rejected the call right? We've got a disenlightenment going on, and that is so true. And go back to our There Are Four Lights episode. The the contradictions, the craziness, just flat out shark jumping going on now is epic, cosmic. The the level is cosmically epic right now. And, And we're talking about rejecting light and just going along with jumping, you know, jumping the shark as if nothing is happening. That's what we're talking about not accepting the call because the light of the body is the eye. Therefore, if therefore thine eye be single to what? To the glory of God, 
thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, so what are you focusing on, right? The eye is the focusing mechanism here. It's focusing the heart. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. So really, we're, we're, in a, we're sort of in a pattern where we're demonstrating who we are by our deeds, by our actions, by the acceptance of the call or of the reje- rejection of the call. You're demonstrating whether you're one of the children of the father of lies or whether you're one of the children of the fathers of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? It's very great. And this is how this section ends up. It says, No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. The word mammon is riches, wealth. And that's the, the Aramaic way that I think you would encapsulate the economics of today's world. It's all focused on money, and we're all beholden to money. We're prostitutes to it. We'll do anything if you'll keep our, our stock um, market on the up and up. And it's interesting because if you read Revelation chapter 13 through 18 with an eye for the idea that the, this is a cyclical problem, it's not necessarily something that just happens in the end times, but that the beastly system, that seven-headed, ten-horned beast, is a system that captivates us, keeps us, keeps us captive, and we worship that system. And those people that worship the system, they, they are uh, embraced by the agora, and those that will not worship the system, that accept the call, they are ostracized from the agora, not allowed to buy or sell, and in some cases killed, right? And then that system goes on, and it talks about how that, that beast is um, sat upon by the woman robed in scarlet in, in 17 and 18, and then Babylon the Great is destroyed in one hour, and the merchants of the world mourn. The kings of the world and the merchants of the world mourn, and they say, no one buys our stuff anymore. They're not buying the fine linens and the pearls and all this stuff. And, and it says right at the end there that they are the ones who have been trafficking in the souls of men. And so are you going to be trafficked? Are you going to be a prostitute to this system? Are you going to be the hero? Take up the call, slay the minotaur, go through the labyrinth, and then... You get to choose whether to marry Ariadne or not, <laughs> I guess. But uh, in, that, that's right where we're at. So in in more kind of practical terms, because because people will say, "Well, I can't just I can't just quit my job. I can't just get." Yeah, off, I'm not telling anybody to quit their job. So, but what can we do? It, what what kind of what are some of the steps we can take? You know, I've talked about like the mask and stuff, but I'm I'm thinking more longer term. Although I think the masks are permanent, but what are some steps that we should or can take to accept that call, to reject the system? Well, the first thing people need to do is say, the emperor is not wearing any clothes. Will you be that little boy who is willing to... Because remember, the, the issue with the emperor's new clothes was that the 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 hucksters had it convinced everyone that you can only see the cloth if you are a, if you are fit for your station if you're high and noble and fit for your station and is is that not exactly what's going on in modern media right now is you're you're a deplorable jack ass if you're unwilling to go along with us uh, the four lights episode i think was great and that that exchange between george stephanopoulos and 
uh, Rand Paul, where he says, will you not admit? Do not succumb to it. Voice your opposition. The first thing to do is to, to become firm in the mind, recognize what's happened, ad- admit what's happened to yourself, and then you're going to have to admit it to the next person, to your mother, your father, your brother. Are, are you seeing what I'm seeing? The emperor is not wearing any clothes. And then the, the, a lot of them will say, well, they say that people who say that are not fit for their station and they're, they're uh, low and of, of uh, base birth and they're idiots. They can't, they can't yeah, perform their functions. In the, modern, in the modern terminology, they're peddling harmful misinformation harmful misinformation baseless or baseless conspiracy yeah. theories baseless conspiracy theories yeah when you see these neuro linguistic programming terms come out you need to identify them you can't you can't let it pass you need to appropriately as appropriately as possible as carefully as possible make sure that you are recognized as someone who has accepted the call for better or for worse because that might get you fired from your job it might you again be careful i you know if you don't want to get fired from your job then you might need to be careful about how you approach this and but the cosmos the gods may literally create that dilemma for you like this woman at smith college uh, again what was her name i got to get her name right her name was jody shaw incredibly courageous she accepts the call she won't take their money she says this is wrong, and I'm going to get out and speak about it. And she, you know what's crazy? She's, she's going to encounter resistance for, her, for the foreseeable future. She went out, and she did a go. She makes $45,000 a year. She goes out, she tells her story, she puts out a GoFundMe link, and she raises 180 grand, and GoFundMe cuts her off. And, right. and she's not, she has a note on her GoFundMe that says, please try to donate some other way because. It looks like they're not going to release my funds. Why would they do that? Right, right. I There's, mean, that's unconscionably evil. And what you find is that some of these fundraising websites are absolutely corrupt because that's not the first time they've done that, and it's not the only page. I think Kickstarter's done stuff like that, that where, where they cut off the access to uh, a project or a person that th- that they are being yeah. told not to approve. Right, of. that there is the mark of the beast. It's not the it's not the micro dot uh, you know tattoo that that people are talking about. It's not the barcode. It's not the credit card. Literally, GoFundMe not allowing them to have the money other people want to give them. That is cutting people out of the agora. Not allowing them to do their business there. Not allowing them to buy or sell. It's a clear manifestation of it. Because you, I mean, it's so, so evil. And There's this, so much bad energy this, in that. This person, Jody Shaw, didn't say anything that was offensive. She's not being canceled. She's she, willingly walking away saying, I don't like what I'm seeing. It's, it's, it's stressful. It's, she's not a Trump supporter. She's not like a conservative. She's a right. liberal. She's just, she's just abstaining from it. And that's not good enough. You have to be a well, she's willing talking about it. participant. And yeah, but. If you read the letter she wrote, she didn't she didn't necessarily say you are all morons and idiots and lunatics. No, she just explained she what just happened. Said, uh, this is this is too hard on me and my psyche and my physical and spiritual well being, so I'm I'm getting out. Yeah, and she but one of the big points was she had to say something about it. And that's right. what I'm saying is if you recognize it, do not allow it to stand. Right. She is being punished. She's being punished because for talking. She, 
is whistle. She's blowing a whistle. Yeah, and she whistleblower, that's an interesting term, right? There's a, like a technical idea that somehow a whistleblower comes from the government and and sheds light on some illegal illegal activity that's going on there. No, she's she's a she is a whistleblower for truth. She is raising the alarm. She's a Paul Revere. That's what Paul Revere is, well, the I, first whistleblower. We have to understand that in our day and age today, whistleblowers are enemies and they are in almost every institution whether it's government or not are poorly are poorly treated. Are yeah, tr- why, why does Edward Snowden have to live in Russia? Right. It used to be in the 60s they would come over here. They those pu- people would flee right. to America. Right. We have Edward Snowden who revealed horrible crimes that our government was committing and yet if you pull 10 or 100 random people off the street, they would either not know who he is or they would say uh he's a traitor. He's a traitor. You'd probably have 90 people say he's a traitor. And it's it's the power of the of the media when when he revealed the crimes of the government and that they were literally right. spying on every single one of us using our devices and our computers and our phones and everything else. Right. The man who says that and proves it is the traitor. What 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 was Julian Assange's crime? Embarrassing the establishment. Right. Pointing out how evil they were. And he's paid dearly. I mean Oh, yeah. Edward Snowden has some degree of freedom. Russia doesn't care about him. And for whatever reason, the intelligence community in the United States doesn't seem to care about him. And he, his girlfriend moved over there. They, they got married. They have a kid. He, has, he appears on you know, podcasts and things mm-hmm. and has some degree of normality. But Julian Assange is basically— He's uh, in supermax uh, isolation. Uh, he's, he's, he's been non-personed, and he's been smeared, and— He's he's been made out to be like the world's worst criminal. Yeah, and he's been imprisoned and and for telling uh, the truth about the world's worst criminals. Right, locked away and th- and they threw away the key on him. I mean, they, like literally, he's in limbo. And it's unfortunate. That poor that guy. Trump had a, had an opportunity to pardon both of those people and didn't. I think that's really telling on the whole Trump right episode right there. Because if he really wanted to, if if he were really the guy that a lot of the people said he was, Snowden. And uh, Assange would have long been. And even if it was only symbolic, it would have been, you know, a strong symbol. And Oh, yeah. But he didn't do it. Yeah. He pardoned he, his buddies. He pardoned Blagojevich, right, from he, Illinois? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's... Anyway, okay, so now we're really depressing ourselves. Now is the time <laughs> to take up the call, to accept the call you know, how you do that has got to be between you and God. But I think that just making it known that you reject the false narrative that's going on is a big start. Identifying yourself and then at the appropriate time and place, of course, because you, the world hates you <laughs> because it hates truth, because it hates him. That's, that's just the way it is. But if you don't, if, if we don't, say something, then how are we going to gather to us and, and create community that can resist this evil? I honestly think it's a significant portion of America that right now is recognizing we've jumped the shark and is contemplating the idea of accepting the call. L- like maybe 60, 70 percent, maybe in there. Well, there's no, there's no neutrality. You either accept or reject the call. You can't be a spectator on the sidelines in these scenarios. And so either way, 
there's going to be rough times ahead. When you accept the call to adventure, then you have to go on the adventure. And adventures can be rough. Uh, they can have storms in the sea. They it's can, not comfortable. It's it, not your father's Oldsmobile. And it's, it can be a lonely, a lonely trail to walk down. And there's storms and there's mountains you have to climb and there's caves you might have to go into. And look at all these great stories. You know, Frodo, Frodo accepted the call when Gandalf showed up at his door in Lord of the Rings. Bilbo previously accepted the call, much to his you know, reluctance. But you think about The Hobbit, when Bilbo was sort of had the call literally <laughs> literally barged through his front door. Um, but that set off a chain of events that eventually led to the to the saving of the world with Frodo and the rings. But Frodo had to had to go through a lot of really bad, difficult stuff. I actually like I think that Lord of the Rings is I think the real hero of Lord of the Rings is Sam. Samwise Gamgee, who does all of this hard work and is supporting Frodo through it all. And he's the truth teller, right? He's the one who recognizes that Gollum is deceitful and he tries to warn Frodo and Frodo gets mad at him and tries to banish him. And eventually Sam is the one that carries Frodo and makes sure that he throws that ring into the into the into the pit of doom or the fires of Mount I can't even remember now, but but anyway, Sam, and then Sam's the one who goes home and settles into the regular life, and you know Frodo sails off with the elves. But the, my point is, and we always have to make our point with tangents, and <laughs> that difficult times are ahead. Difficult times are ahead, and that's always true. That's always true because we live in a fallen mortal world, and always. There's always difficult times. But right now I feel like, and I think both of us feel like, there are particularly difficult times ahead. And they're going to be widespread. And so what are you going to do about it? And we can, we can speak truth and we can speak for what we know is right. We can say the boat just hit the dome wall. This is, this is a false reality. And we can figure out what the real true reality is. Or... We can be like Truman's friends and tell him to sit down and be quiet and watch his favorite movie. You know, I was thinking more about Truman's show, and he, you know, last week we we went in depth on it, but he, when he finally took the journey on the boat, he had nobody. He had no friends. He was completely alone. The friends, the lifelong friends that he thought he had, had all abandoned him. They'd all chosen to go along with Kristoff. You know, Marlon, his buddy Marlon, never said, you're right, Truman, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. I'm going to help you through this. His wife abandoned him. The community abandons him. And so he's alone. You're going to have times where you feel like you have nobody. And that's why Jordan's talking about creating communities and groups of like-minded people that can, that can, weather these storms i saw a video the other day of 10 or 12 people going into a trader joe's without masks and they all went in together and this guy in the store not a worker 
he's not an employee of the of the store, but he's another shopper. You know, he's he's masked up and he gets in the way. He tries to block the the aisle for one of these guys, the guy filming, and he's and the guy says, oh, just, "Excuse me, excuse me, I just I need to get by." And he kind of brushes shoulders with this masked guy, and the masked guy says, "Assault! He assaulted me. We got it on video. Assault!" And the other guy's like, "I'm just trying to get by, thanks." And and they all go in and they buy some chips and other little things and they walk, they pay and they walk out. And all of these people are, are wagging their fingers and, and shouting them down because these maskless people had the audacity to go into Trader Joe's and buy something without a mask on their face. That is what we're up against. We are going to face these sort of people who will bump into us and say, assault, assault, whether it has to do with masks or not. But that is what we're up against. Don't fall for it. Don't, don't, don't succumb to this temptation to just be a brainless, mindless water carrier for the establishment, for the oligarchy. To tell the truth is to show your face in difficult situations and not be ashamed of what you know. Those people in the store know that they're posing absolutely no danger to anybody. And so they went in there and they made a point. Maybe there was somebody in there that saw what they did and thought, I don't need to wear this anymore. Maybe somewhere in the back was Alma hearing Abinadi speak the truth and saying, I don't need to participate in this lie that mm-hmm. me and my colleagues have been participating in our whole lives in that case. I think it's about independence. It's about independent thought and acting, you know, acting for yourself rather than being acted upon. So my final thoughts here for today's episode, thanks if you've been listening this far, mindvirus.show, <laughs> like, comment, subscribe, etc. Quoting Indiana Jones from the the Last Crusade, um, he's talking to Elsa, his uh, love interest, right? The other scientist that has, was working with his dad previously, and uh, she's trying to get him off track. And remember, she works for the Germans, <laughs> right? And in the end, she dies, right? Well, spoiler alert! That's <laughs> Dang a... it! Well, we're she's... just gonna have to put like a big spoiler alert. Uh, if you haven't seen these Indiana, are old movies, people. <laughs> if you haven't seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, I'm sorry for you. That movie's probably 30 years old by now. That's crazy. I remember it came out when I was in high school. Yeah, it's been out for a long and time. And I was sitting in class uh, in history class, or yeah, it was history class, and there was a really cute girl in front of me, and we were talking about the Crusades, and I said my favorite Crusade was the Last Crusade, and she turned around, she's like, "What? You know, like." Who knows so much about the Crusades? And I was joking about the movie that had come out, and I had to like tell her <laughs> that I wasn't just trying to be a smarty pants. But uh, okay, here's my, here's my quote from uh, Last Crusade. He's talking to Elsa, and she's trying to get him off track. And he says, "Listen, honey, since I've met you, I've nearly been incinerated, drowned, shot at, chopped into fish bait. We're caught in the middle of something sinister here. And my guess is dad found out more than he was looking for. And until I'm sure, I'm going to continue to do things the way I think they ought to be done. And that's the way we all ought to act, like the hero. It's like, look, honey, we're caught in the middle of something sinister here. And we got to figure this out. 
and we've got to be independent. We can't listen to the people who keep moving the goalposts, who keep telling us what's up as if, as if they have any credibility, any credibility. I mean, come on, weapons of mass destruction. Oh, here's another one. Too big to fail. Oh, you mean too big to jail. Okay, I get it. You guys know where we've been. Remember the last 20 years. Come on. Until we're sure. We're caught in the middle of something sinister here, and I'm guessing that there's more to this, this story than we're being told. And until we find out, we cannot listen to those who would keep us from our true calling, from, from the journey that we're supposed to go on, from being the, the heroes on this journey that we're supposed to be. That's my final thoughts. Truth always finds a way to manifest itself. Be the guy who helps the truth manifest itself. Be that guy. Amen, brother. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. We're going to wrap this one up. Okay, hopefully. We, we appreciate all of you. <laughs> hopefully, you enjoy these podcasts. And if you're listening to this, you probably do. And we appreciate you listening. And uh, spread the word, share the podcast, help us get, get a bigger audience. That might be helpful too. All right, everybody, take care. Have a great week. And we will see you next time on the Mind Virus Podcast. Cue the music.